Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And if you have ever wondered if you are not charging enough for your products and services, you need to listen to today's episode. And here's the thing. Even if you think you're charging enough for your products and services, you still need to listen to today's episode. Want to welcome Patty Block to the show. She's a business advisor, pricing expert, and she believes that consistent business success comes from leveraging your hidden advantage, making informed decisions, communicating powerfully, and taking calculated action. Since 2006, Patty has empowered women business owners who are experts in their field to turn up their power to price, sell, and run their businesses on their own terms. She's also the author of the book, Your Hidden Advantage, Unlock the Power to Attract Right Fit Clients and Boost Your Revenue. So Patty, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate being here. I, when I saw, you know, on Podmatch, because we matched on Podmatch, when I saw that title that we picked for today's episode, you know, about pricing your products correctly. I've been on that journey for a long time now. And I had a lot that I had to go through really kind of mentally to be able to charge the prices that I knew I was worth. So I am excited for today's conversation. But first, Patty, this is your first time on the Author to Authority podcast. So I'd love for you to take a few minutes and introduce yourself, share more of your story with us, And let us know, how did you become a business advisor and pricing expert? You bet. So I'm Patty Block. I I work exclusively with women business owners who are experts in their fields. So a lot of accountants, attorneys, engineers, specialty consultants. And the focus that I bring is on helping them generate more revenue with less stress And that is by leveraging their hidden advantage, which we'll talk about since that is the title of my book. And the my journey may sound a lot like your journey. As we're growing up, we make the mistake, and maybe it's because we're naive, that life is a straight line. And we think, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's anything but. Life is never a straight line. And as you grow up and you get more perspective, you understand that, but nobody tells us that as kids. So I'm what I call a good girl. I follow the rules. I did what I was expected to do, which was to grow up, get my education, get married, start a family, raise my family. If I had a career, that was great, but I was not raised to be a breadwinner. And so that is a really common scenario for a lot of women. And I had a company, so I started out my career actually in banking, and I had a career as a political consultant and a lobbyist and started my own company. And then the bank became my biggest lobby client. And so I ran that business for about eight years, but I was really frustrated because my revenue was tied to the election cycle and lots of ups and downs, right? So I added the lobbying to even out my revenue. But if there were resources to help me grow my business and make these kinds of strategic decisions, I didn't know how to find them and I didn't know who to trust. And honestly, in the political arena, you don't trust anybody. So, so true. it was really frustrating. And I, I figured out kind of like you were saying a minute ago, 
you figured it out on your own, but you struggled to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I did the same thing with pricing, with generating more revenue and with sales. I took lots yeah. of programs. I, but here's the thing. All the programs I, that I took were developed by men for men. And those mm-hmm. methods really didn't work for me. And I thought it was me. And then I started yeah. realizing as I was talking to my colleagues, it's not just me. And no. that's when I started thinking about, I want to be that resource for other women business owners. Mm-hmm. So I had that company about eight years. I was 35 years old, had a thriving business and a surprise divorce and oh, yeah. three, three little kids at home. Cause I did all the things I was supposed to do. Supposed to do, right? Yeah. And that's what I think of as the good girl's dilemma is we follow the rules. We do all the things we're supposed to do and that are expected of us. And we think we're doing it, quote, right. And then we get this gut punch. Well, how can this happen when I did everything right? Yes. So realizing that I was going to have this divorce and having three little kids, at that time, my youngest was two and he just turned 30. So I have raised my kids as a single mom with no financial support, no logistical or emotional support. And realizing that in order to make this work for me and for my kids, I needed to focus on raising good human beings and everything else would fall into place. And it did. It wasn't easy, but raised my children, got them all through college and graduate school, and then helped them launch their careers. And they're now all three business owners. So I help them with their companies and they help me with mine. So it's very, it's a wonderful feeling when you have that relationship with your Mm -hmm. adult kids. And that's been a big part of my journey. So what I did when I realized that I needed health insurance for the kids is I closed my business and I went to get a job and I worked at a nonprofit, an international school and went there as director of development, handling marketing, fundraising and public relations, and then became director of operations, was Mm -hmm. there for almost eight years and Uh, The whole time I was there, I was planning this company, the Block Group, and I started this company in 2006. And I wanted to take my experience in finance and operations Mm -hmm. and bring that to the small business market. So that was my journey, definitely not a straight line. And I'm grateful for all the experiences that I had and how Mm -hmm. I could bring that all together in the Block Group. Mm As I mentioned, I founded it in 2006, so I've been doing this work for a very long time, and I decided to focus exclusively on women business owners Mm -hmm. to be that resource that I didn't have. That is awesome, Patty. Now, if you're a man listening today, I know what she's going to say is going to help you too. So just because she focuses in on women doesn't make the knowledge any less valuable. But Patty, I was just so impressed with your story. And, you know, I, I was the good girl. I was the good girl. And, you know, my kids are 31 and 29. And I, so, you know, we raised our kids in the same era and the expectations. I remember when I wanted to become an entrepreneur, when my daughter was very little and really wasn't, it was frowned upon. Like people didn't get it. They didn't understand why would I want to be an entrepreneur? Shouldn't I just be happy you know, staying at home, raising my kids, you know, or I mean, at least get a job. (laughs) Right. 
But like you, I wanted to raise my kids well. And one of the reasons why I got into entrepreneurship was so I could work from home. And so I could be there for the kids. And so I could raise them well. And I think, you know, if you're a mother listening to this today and your children are young, you have a lot of hard decisions to make. And, you know, financially, it wasn't the best decision for me to stay home. I mean, you had no choice. You were a single mom, but I had a choice. And I chose to stay home, not because I felt I needed to fit into some sort of stereotype. But, you know, my mom died when I was four. I didn't grow up with mom, right? I know what it's like not to have a mother around. And I wanted to give my children the best. And the best was having me there. And my husband and I both agree that the best was me being at home. But I still wanted more. And so that's, you know, for me, that's kind of where the entrepreneurship journey started. So I love that you talked about that because I can honestly say that staying home and raising my kids, no matter how difficult it was at time, when I look at my kids now, my grandkids, it was the best decision I ever made in my life and the best return on investment that you could ever have. Yes. And it's wonderful when you have that luxury of a choice. Mm. Even though I didn't have the choice, I did have a choice on what type of job, how demanding a job I was going to have. And the lobbying required a lot of travel. And Mm. I knew immediately I had to stop traveling and be stabilize things for the kids. So Mm. really important things for me was realizing I did have choices. I wasn't powerless. And all of those choices and decisions that I made, I took a lot of time and thought. I was also in therapy at that time, which was super helpful because then I had a sounding board and I worked through what was going to work best for me, for my kids and, and provide that stability that we all needed. So Mm -hmm. there was nothing easy about my journey, but Mm -hmm. I also don't necessarily regret my journey because I had to be there to get here. And here is that. Amen. Amen. Patty, I know you come prepared today to talk about, you know, the pricing model and, you know, why women don't price their services correctly. But, you know, I suspect there are men that don't price their services properly, too. So I know what you say will apply to both men and women today. So I want to let you loose a bit to talk about that. And, And, you know, what have you learned through that process? For years and years, before I started this business and during this business, I have seen patterns and roadblocks, again, specifically for women, because that's who I work with. But you're right. I see it with men as well. And I raised two sons who have their own businesses. And we've spent a lot of time talking about their pricing. So that is not gender specific. What I will say is that for women, we have some additional things that are in our way, and we can talk a little bit about that. For years, I observing all these patterns, and I was also experiencing them. I fell into the same traps that my clients were falling into, and I didn't have language around that. And over the years, I started thinking about a memory that I had that was so strong for me, and that was when I was growing up. My mom used to make these fabulous cookies. The whole house smelled good. It was warm. The cookies were gooey. And all my life, I watched my mom eat the broken cookies. But it didn't occur to me until I was a teenager 
to even ask her, why do you only eat the broken cookies? Do they taste better? And she laughed and said, no, I eat the broken cookies so you can have the whole ones. Mm -hmm. And not too long ago, I saw this really shocking statistic. 62% of women rely on their business for their primary income. And 88% of women business owners generate less than $100,000 a year. And all of a sudden, this yeah, before image, expenses. Exactly. And all of a sudden, this image of my mom eating the broken cookies popped in my head. And I realized that's what we as women are doing. We have watched our role models, our mothers and our grandmothers have this spirit of self-sacrifice. And we end up bringing that into our businesses. And it's what I call the broken cookie effect. We undervalue ourselves. We over under, excuse me, underprice our services, and then we over deliver, and yeah. all of that conspires to the point where we sacrifice our profit. Our profit just goes poof, and that broken cookie effect means that everyone around us gets the whole cookie, and we live on crumbs. And that dynamic is the underpinning of the fear that we feel mm-hmm. when we price. When we talk about our pricing, which is the biggest problem. So the women that I work with are all high achievers. We're super smart, have no problem when I help them build a pricing model. They can do the calculations. But when it comes to talking about it as girls and as women, we've been taught several things. You don't talk about yourself because it sounds like bragging and you sound arrogant. You don't speak up. You wait to be called on. You, when you talk about your pricing, you need to make some kind of excuse for why you're charging what you're charging because people need to really understand where you're coming from. We've been taught all these things. In the workplace, we've been taught to suppress our powers of intuition and perception. Mm -hmm. We've been taught to be quiet. And while this is to a large degree generational, it is not strictly generational. And it's not strictly gender specific. There are men who struggle with this as well, who feel like they need to wait to speak up or to be called on, that they need to play a game in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So all of those things conspire, especially for women, for us to start out pricing low, and then we paint ourselves into a corner by feeling afraid That if we raise our prices or we change the structure, that we're going to get pushback. We won't find the right clients. People are going to, they're not going to like us. And as good girls, I don't just want you to like me. I want you to love me. Mm -hmm. So all of those underlying things cause us a lot of problems as we're working on our pricing. And so it just seems easier to set it low and forget it. Just don't worry about your pricing. Just set it up and don't worry about it in the future. Because if you want to change the way you're pricing, then it feels like conflict. And all of those things cause us problems. So I saw that. I've seen it for years and years. And it's so pervasive. So my mission became helping women beat the broken cookie effect to understand it doesn't mean you're bragging. It doesn't mean, and, and in fact, I'm based in Texas. And we have a saying here that it's not bragging if it's true. (laughs) Amen. I love that. (laughs) You have spent decades building your career, honing your expertise. You are worth every penny. And more. And more. 
That's exactly right. You don't need to keep proving yourself over and over. And you have a lot to say. Mm. But if you're not confident in how you talk about yourself and your pricing and your services and your solutions and your results, if you're not talking about those things, then you can't really expect your prospects the value. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've, I've raised my time prices many times over the years. I came into 2023 and I had two separate people uh, who I had just met having conversation with them and like at two different times. And, you know, and it was funny because they were men. Okay. So I usually get this from women, but these were from men. They looked at me and they said, yeah, Kim, you're undercharging. You need to raise your price. And I went, okay. So I actually, I actually raised my price by half again. So I took half, I took half of what I was already charging and added that on to what I was already charging and increased my prices yet again. And you know what the funny thing I found throughout all of this was, was every time I raised my pricing, like you said, I thought I was going to get pushback and I didn't. Now there were people who could not afford what I had to offer and that was fine. But I never got pushback on the price I was charging. They they thought what I was charging was fair. It was just they couldn't afford it. I mean, that that's fine. If you can't afford it, okay, you know, we either come up with a payment plan or if you really can't, cool, right? But it was it was kind of revelatory for me every time it happened, because I'm like, I was expecting the pushback. And they're like, yeah, it's like you're you're worth it, Kim. Like you presented yourself well. Like I know it's worth it. I just can't afford it. And, or they go like, like I just literally a week and a half ago, I raised my prices again because after those two conversations, it was just rolling around in my brain. I raised my prices again. The first person I talked to, I had to really, I had to pause for a second before I said the price because it was the first time saying the new price. I said the new price, and they're like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> exactly. So. So let's circle back to the question that intrigued you, which was how do you drive your sales with Mm -hmm. your pricing and have your pricing work to your advantage? Mm -hmm. So when we think about the human condition, part of what we believe, especially in Western society, is that high price equals high quality and Mm -hmm. low price equates to low quality, right? So if you're pricing artificially low, First of all, you're probably attracting the wrong buyers because there are people that are coming to you and probably aren't ready to work with you or are pinching pennies and might might not be the right time to work with you. So that means your results aren't going to be that great. So that creates a problem in itself if you're talking to the wrong people. When you raise your prices or in my verbiage, the way I talk about it is building a pricing model. Mm -hmm. If it were as simple as just raising your prices, everybody would do that. And we would just do it every year. It's not that simple. And a lot of this is based on the psychology that we understand about Mm -hmm. humans. So building a pricing model gives you a rationale and a structure. So it's Mm -hmm. no longer personal. It's not personal when somebody objects. It's structural. Mm -hmm. And It makes it easier to talk about. You'll feel more confident. So that's a big piece of this. When we're talking about a high price equates to high quality, and you know, you can think about this in a retail example. Mm -hmm. In the States, we have Walmart, Macy's, and Neiman Marcus, right? 
you can buy a blouse in all three stores. But the which woman shops in which store depends on what she thinks is important, how much money she has to spend. And if designer goods are really important to that person, then she's very likely to shop in Neiman Marcus. Mm-hmm. I personally am a Macy shopper and Amazon for everything else. If, you know, if I'm going to buy clothing, I'll shop at Macy's, but mm-hmm. everything else I'm going to shop at Amazon. It's quick. Yeah. It's easy. I don't have to go into a store. So knowing who your buyers are helps you find them, mm-hmm. helps you attract them and find them. And if your pricing is really low, people will perceive that you're not worth it, that you're yeah. not, you're not providing a valuable service. And it's a conundrum because you got to figure out the balance, mm-hmm. right? You can't just go in and say, well, I'm going to raise my prices three times. You can do that, but you don't have a rationale behind it. Mm-hmm. You don't have a reason. And your work is not more valuable today than it was yesterday. And yet you're charging three times more. The problem is that you started out too low and attracted the wrong people. Yeah. But most service providers start out that way. And then through experience, we start to realize that we can either take 15 prospects or clients that are not paying a lot of money, or we can take five that are paying more and are ready to work with us. And we're going to get better results and they understand the value from the very beginning. Yep. Yeah. I I so agree with you. Realized that, you know, for me, uh, I am worth it. That that was that was a huge piece when I started, you know, when I first started raising my prices was I am worth it. And and the value that I was providing was tremendous. And I was not pricing according to the value that I provide. And and you know, in the beginning it was just me. Now I have, you know, writers, editors, you know, so there's more consideration when I raise prices than just, you know, my value. I'm, you know, I people working for me, right? But in the beginning, a lot of it was about how I saw myself and my value and my worth. And that is what changed and allowed me to raise my prices because I realized I was worth it. My my knowledge and my expertise was worth it. You know, I fought imposter syndrome all the time. I don't really now. Okay, I can't say I never do, but it's rare. But I just I so liked what you said there, Patty, and and. I really feel that, you know, if people understand their value and their worth, adjusting your pricing becomes easier. And you are correct. The more you charge, it doesn't mean that you don't get bad clients and customers, because even when you charge more, you occasionally do. But you talked about the penny pinchers. And I remember I, you know, I was working with the penny pinchers who wanted everything for nothing. And, you know, they, in business, there's a word called, uh, I think it's called creep scope, scope creep, something like that, where, you know, they, they keep asking for more beyond what they're paying for. And I found when I I had those, when I was charging less, I had a lot of those clients. I mean, I was barely, I really wasn't making enough money to begin with. And then they wanted more and more. And finally, I just, I got smart. I put everything in writing and made them sign a work agreement. And then if they came back to me and said, well, I want this, this, and this, I'm like, Okay, that's great, but this is outside of the work agreement. So if you want A, B, and C, it's going to cost you so much. Right. Guess what? (laughs) They didn't want to pay for it. Okay, well, then, you know, 
that's fine. We'll just continue working on, you know, what we've agreed to work on. Exactly. And that's the power of having a structure. And when I was talking about the pricing model, that is the power because it's not personal. You don't have to feel guilty because they've asked for more and you're not going to give it to them. You're going to charge them appropriately. But the underlying problem is they don't understand the real value that Mm -hmm. you're bringing. Yes. So that's the baseline that you start with. Then they're pinching pennies and continue not to understand the value. And they think of it in terms of time. Well, it's not going to take you that much time to do this extra thing. But you're not selling your time. You're selling your expertise. Yes. You're selling results. So reminding them of that, finding the words and then using certain techniques that I teach so that you can communicate effectively and help them understand that. You're also building perceived value. So perceived value is the level to which your buyer believes you can solve their problem or help them get an opportunity. And you can actually build perceived value with your actions and what you say. And when you learn to do that, it's like building a muscle. And that's part of what I teach as well. And I teach that in the book, that that's a central theme for building your pricing model and how you talk about it and how you communicate that value. Which leads directly into the third segment of the podcast. Let's talk about your book. We got about five minutes left. So your book's called Your Hidden Advantage, Unlock Unlock the Power to Attract Right Fit Clients and Boost Your Revenue. So here's a question that I ask every author that comes on the show. Are you ready there, Patty? I am. Okay. What was the good, the bad, and the ugly about publishing that book? So there were all three, and they were mixed together. So I worked on the book for a couple years. Again, I recognized the patterns. I had the words, the concepts that I wanted. And I wanted to reach more women business owners because your business does not have to feel like a burden. There really is a better way to run your business. And I can teach you how to do that. And I wanted more women to have access to this. That's why I wrote the book. At the As I was starting the publishing process, which there are so many pitfalls in the publishing process, itself. One of the things someone had told me was that writing the book, I was going to learn so much about myself. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Everybody says that. But that is so true. I learned so much about myself and what was important to me. So I wrote the book. Now I'm starting the publishing process. And I had the way typically works is you write the book and then you write the acknowledgments and all the different pieces that are in the front and back of the book wrote the acknowledgments. And two days later, my mom died very suddenly. There was no warning. There was, it was such a shock. She wasn't even that old. One morning she literally died and it was such a shock. And shortly after that, I needed to go back and write the acknowledgments again in past tense. Yeah. It was really hard. And the book in many ways is a tribute to my mom. Mm-hmm. There are stories about me and my mom, her influence, the broken cookie effect is a story about my mom. And there are other stories in there and photographs. And, and I realized after she died, the book is in many ways a tribute to her and to her influence on me and mm-hmm. to other strong women who have influenced me. 
And at the same time, it's a how-to. It's a guide for women of how to build your company in a way that doesn't have to be so painful. So the good, bad, and ugly of publishing the book, everything takes longer than you think it will. And 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 that for me, that's very frustrating because I'm so action-oriented. And so <laughs> there was a lot of hurry up and wait. And I found that really, really challenging. But the book is now out. It's Your Hidden Advantage. And you can find it at yourhiddenadvantage.com. And there are some bonuses there as well, including a training that is no cost. It's a bonus and it's actually a companion piece to the book. And the training is called The Value Equation. And it breaks down why you may be giving people invisible discounts. They don't even know you're giving them a discount, but you're feeling so nervous in that sales conversation that you're offering to cut your prices. And that is a really dangerous thing to fall into because it's a slippery slope and you will continue to do that. So those are some of the good, bad, and ugly of the book. I'm very grateful that it is a tribute to my mom. Her birthday's coming up in April and we're going to do some events around her birthday. And, and it's very gratifying to me that I've captured those stories and that's part of my mom's legacy. That is so wonderful. So your episode will be airing in May. So by the time the people are listening to this, you will have already had all those wonderful things for your mom. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And and you know what? If this is something that audience that you are struggling with, I highly suggest you get her book. You can change. It's a process. It takes time. But when you've got a book like Patty's that's going to give you the tools that you need. See, that that's the thing. That's where I struggled sometimes because I didn't have the tools. I had to kind of figure it all out on myself, by myself. And so I highly recommend that, it, you know, read Patty's book. She's already given you the tools and the books you need and connect with her personally. And, and you will be surprised at how much life better, how much your life is better when you have cash flow in your business. So we are out of time. Patty, do you have one very quick final thought for us? Yes, your bur- your company does not have to be a burden. And you can learn through, I mean, exactly what you said, Kim, you can learn how to build your business, how to sustain your business with more revenue and less stress start by reading Your Hidden Advantage and taking advantage of the bonuses and the companion pieces that come with it because the, all of that together will help you generate more revenue and have more choices in your business. And you'll find that you feel much more fulfilled and confident. Thank you, Patty. This has been Patty Block and Kim Thompson Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the very next episode. Bye now.